Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, I'm Geoff Lacey. And I'm Claire Venice. We're talking village life, sheep and dogs. And doing a little archaeological digging in this week's Peapod. If you love Petersfield... I love the square. The hangers. The open-air swimming pool. Lots of fun shops. Then the Peapod loves you. It's just a nice town. Everything Petersfield is in the Peapod with Claire Venice and Geoff Lacey. Thank you for joining us. We're back out in the Petersphere for another local village Peapod, and this time it's the turn of Strood. We'll find out more about Strood from resident Charlie Rogers, get down and woolly with sheep farmer Andrew Snow, and go back in time with Peter Price as we learn about the Roman villa discovered in the village. Shine Radio's Kate Fairweather will also join us, as will John Walker with an update on Petersfield's local news and Susie with a recent wild walk. And we end this week's Peapod with a bit of country music from Lily Garden. 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 Garland. Right. (laughs) We end this week's Peapod with a bit of country music from Lily Garland and her recent single, Rise Above the Ashes. The P stands for Petersfield. Petersfield is special to me. The Peapod. Hiya, Geoff. <laughs> How are you? Well, I'm better now I can say the word garland. <laughs> Not garden. <laughs> <laughs> so, Claire, I'm well. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Now, you've been to the Chelsea Flower Show. I did. You're a star. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was very lucky. I went last Monday on press day and it was such a treat to go on press day because right. everything was brand spanking new. People were excited to show off their gardens and their trade stands. It had a real buzz. I hadn't been to Chelsea for a number of years, so it was, it was a quite a special day. And what was, the, what was the weather like? A little iffy. A little iffy on Monday, a bit overcast, not too cold, and it did rain a little bit. But actually, I think for the beginning of Chelsea Flower Show, you don't want it to be scorching hot. No. Because you've got a whole week and the plants need to survive. So actually, I think the rain was, you know, it's not a bad thing. It didn't dampen anyone's spirits, that's for sure. Oh, that's good, that's good. And will you go again? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. There was a, a lot of amazing Hampshire talent there. Right. And that was my reason for going, to, to meet up and do some interviews. And, and I did six, actually, all in sort of one little, little space. It was, um, it was pretty special, yeah. And we can all listen to that? We can. It's a special Growing Together oh, edition from the I Chelsea Flower li- Show. I will listen. Thank you, Geoff. I hope you, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> and how's your week been? Um, yeah, not too bad. Change your, change your branches at work. So uh, I won't have the worry of going over Harting Hill and trying to dodge deer. Oh, so, okay, that's good. Yeah, so I'm going down in Portsmouth for a while. So it's just down straight down the motorway, so not too bad at all. Okay. And rehearsals start next week for Oliver Twist. <gasps> oh, my goodness, you've been cast. I've been cast. Can you tell? Yes. Ooh, what is it? I am Mr Bumble. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that's fantastic casting. <laughs> well done, casting directors. I'm so pleased. I can't wait, Geoff. That's great. Are you excited? Well, I'm going to... I, yes, I am, yes. But I just think Mr. Bumblefields should be... Is he a big... Mm. Yeah. Mm. I might have to get some padding. Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Padding's better than, than actually trying to make yourself bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you been practising? No. You have. Yet. You so no, have. You hesitated. No. I haven't because I, I gave the script back after the um, auditions because you don't presume that you're going to get a part. So I gave it back. So I'm going to pick that up next week at the first rehearsal. Brilliant. So, so that's quite a long rehearsal time then, because when's the actual production due to, to start? October. Yeah. It's the middle of October, and I believe, because I had signed up for the, um, 
Great South Run, which I'm still going to do. Um, <laughs> I did wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but that's on the Sunday, and we have the three sh- four shows on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we've got the Great South Run on the Sunday. So we'll see. Can you share the Great South Run? Can you do half and half? No. You can't do that. Well, you can do half with me, are you? Well, I was, actually, I was going to offer. <laughs> Might well, you can just mind, take my place. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, so well, I'm very pleased. That's exciting, James. Yeah, so last week we were at Sky Park Farm. Mm-hmm. Seems a long time ago, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. It was a great day, though. Yep. I was going to ask you, you bought some, some venison there, didn't venison you? Venison burgers, very nice. Were they? Yeah, lovely. And I did buy some black garlic beer from a brewery on the Isle of Wight. And, uh, yeah, not as much garlic as I thought. Well, that's a relief for everybody around <laughs> next to you, I thought. Could you not taste it? No. Now, that might have been just me, but I don't know. No, I didn't, couldn't taste it at all. Oh. But, yeah, the, I bought some chicken kebabs, lovely, uh, some venison burgers and some pork belly slices. Got to say, fantastic. So I'm sensing there was a barbecue. It was a barbecue, yes. Mm. Yeah, it went really well. So, uh, oh, and I've had a couple since. Get back into the swing of the barbecue, It's the season, Blair. yeah. It's the season, Joff. And with this weekend coming up, the Jubilee weekend, you know, the weather's supposed to be good, isn't it? Well, you might be too busy to do barbecues because we've got, we're down at the um, square on the, on the Friday. And then we're at the, uh, the Fate at the Avenue Saturday doing we are. a peapod. Come down and see us. We'll yeah, be there. We'll be there. 10 o'clock in the morning. We'll all be dressed for the occasion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we will be. <laughs> Claire in some 50s outfit. And me in a surprise. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wish me luck. (laughs) Well, we've come to the village of Stroud for another village podcast. So is it Stroud or is it Stroud? Well, it's Stroud, I think, but we should probably double check. Yes. I think Stroud's in Gloucester, isn't it? It is, yes. It's great here. It's lovely here. I know it well because Langridge School is up the road and that's where my children are. So Langridge School is just about a couple hundred yards from where we are, but we're not in Langridge. No. It moved, I believe, in 1915 from Langrish. You went, not you personally, but your family, your, your daughters went to Langrish School, is that right? Yeah, and we're on the last term of my youngest wow. going to Langrish. That's 13 years of is having really? children at Langrish Primary School. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a chunk of time, isn't it? We've only got, we've only got three weeks, four weeks left of uh, education in the, in the town. Of course. My youngest is doing his GCSEs, and that finishes... At the end of June. So, no more education in Petersfield. Wow, that's quite a... What's the yeah. word I'm looking for? Relief? No, maybe. <laughs> that's quite a milestone to get to. Yes, yes. So, I'm looking forward to learning more about Strood. Yes, so am I. So, as you know, we love to hear from you. So, if you have a story you'd like us to cover, or would just like to say hello, please do get in touch. You can call or WhatsApp us on 01730 or send an email to team at shineradio.uk. Coming up, we speak to Strood resident Charlie Rogers. But first, let's find out what's been going on in the Petersphere from the Petersfield Post's John Walker. Hello, John. How are you? Very well, mate. Sat outside the townhouse on the street. It's lovely. Yes, well, we're meeting on a Saturday morning. We've got a nice glass of orange juice and lemonade. How's the world with you, John? Well, it's all right. It's very sunny. I'm off up to London tonight, so it's all good. So, it's Saturday morning. It's half past ten. And I've got to say, John, the town doesn't look very busy. No, you're exactly right, Geoff. And um, 
I don't know if this is a sign of the times or it's always been not so busy. I mean, it's pleasant, don't get me wrong, there's people wandering around, but I just don't see that there's enough of them to keep the town going like this. You know, shops are going to be... They're not, I wouldn't say they're struggling, but they would love more people, I'm sure. Um, so it sort of begs the question, is Petersfield a destination for people to go to, even people who live here? Do we actually shop in Petersfield? Yes, have we got the right mix of shops to attract those from outside of the town? I suspect not, and even for people who live in the town. I mean, we were, we were obviously just talking about this with um, a mother of uh, two children, and, uh, you know, there isn't any kids' clothes shops, there isn't any adult clothes shops. There is a few for women, I grant you, but for men certainly there isn't. What is the future for the town centre? You have to sort of ask yourself. I mean, even some of the cafes look empty as we've wandered the town. I mean, certainly something... It needs a shot in the arm of some sort, whatever that might be. And maybe when the uh, HSBC Bank and the Barclays Bank buildings get re-let, if they're re-let to the right people, that could prove the catalyst for a rebirth of the town. Or not so much a rebirth, but perhaps more of a pull for people to come in. So, what's gracing the pages of the Peaceful Post this week? More badly written stories, blurry pictures and dodgy headlines, I think you'll find. Well, obviously the big, big event is going to be the, um, or the big thing coming up, the big news, if you like, is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee four-day party in Petersfield Town Centre, which um, will be interesting. We've just got to hope that the weather's fine for that. And the town is starting to look festive. The bunting is up all down the high street. Some of the shops are starting to decorate their windows. There's a few balloons floating around. Uh, I think it's going to be a big event for everybody in the country, but for Petersfield in particular. But again, you know, four days of the festivities is fantastic. It's really good, but maybe the format of that needs to be perhaps looked at again. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Joff? All I know is, John, that I'm looking forward to a long weekend uh, where the town, where the high street will be closed to traffic Thursday and Friday. Shine Radio has got a... We're doing an outside broadcast on the Saturday at the Fate down at the Avenue. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, I think it will be good. And everybody deserves a bit of a, a break or a party or whatever you call it after the past five or six years what with Brexit just in case anybody's forgotten Brexit was when we voted to come out of the EU <laughs> government are doing their best to keep the lid on that one because I'd just like to remind everyone <laughs> that it was actually Boris Johnson <laughs> who led us out of the EU <laughs> moving swiftly on and what other news has caught your eye over the last seven days or so well I think there's, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on underneath at the moment, we're waiting to come up. Obviously, the East Hampshire District Council have mentioned uh, that they're looking at um, turning Penn's Place into a sports hub. Uh, that seems to be a plan that will come into effect at some point in one form or another. Obviously, the Town Council are still progressing their plans to uh, revamp the uh, Festival Hall at a cost of at least £13 million. Uh, they've already spent a million on doing the planning for that and uh, yeah those two huge projects 
seem to be going along. And uh, meanwhile, Sheep Parish Council, quite rightly, have got more important things on their mind, and that's looking after the allotment, which I think is fantastic. It's what council should be doing, uh, not spending loads of money on whatever it is they spend it on. So, yeah, it's Petersfield is going through a bit of a metamorphosis. Now, there's a big word for settling normally. Yeah, I think in ten years' time we probably won't recognise the town again. So it'd be different to what it was when we were growing up. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, but not actually much at this minute happening, so i better stop waffling. <laughs> well, John, it's been great catching up with you. Hopefully, as you say, the news never stops and there'll be more great stories which we can catch up on next week. Well, yeah, I think the post next... Uh, yeah, next week will be a pre a pre-Platinum Jubilee party thing and, and the following week will be all the pictures afterwards and if you do have any pictures please send them to the Petersfield Post for inclusion Great stuff John you enjoy the weekend the bank the long four day bank holiday weekend and I'll see you very soon Look forward to it Joff look forward to it And the Petersfield Post is out every Wednesday and costs a nice round pound and it's worth every single penny so please get one with your weekly shot or subscribe to the digital version Hello, Charlie. We're stood outside the beautiful new village hall here in Strood, and you've been instrumental in making it happen. How many years has it taken to get this village hall here? Well, Claire, thank you very much for inviting me onto uh, onto your podcast. It has taken a, a really quite a, a long time. I mean, our original hall was donated to us in uh, at the end of the Second World War, and um, it sort of became our village hall in the late 40s, early 50s, and a, and a hall management committee um, started up, and that came out of the WI. And the women did all the work, and the men weren't really allowed to be involved other than to be given menial tasks. And so the hall survived, really, for 50 years or so. And um, towards the end of the century, around about 2000, it really was a bit dilapidated, and we'd repaired it and repaired it, and it couldn't actually be replaced on that site and it, repair just wasn't an option. So it was around about then that I became involved in, in the management committee of this hall and um, we had two failed lottery attempts to, to gain funding to build a new one and both of them were unsuccessful even though we had a plot of land to put the hall on. And I suppose really the only useful thing I did in those first few years was to demolish the old hall at vast expense and um, we had to get rid of an asbestos roof which was obviously dangerous and um, we then set about sort of a task of trying to replace the hall which has taken now until 2018 when um, we were lucky enough to be introduced to Carla Holmes who um, have planning permission to build houses on this lovely plot of land that we're actually standing on and I'm looking into the sunshine now for the benefit of your listeners (laughs) And um, we engage with them and and our our committee, I'm the chairman of this committee and there are 10 of us trustees, have worked very hard, I have to say, me not so hard, but others have worked extraordinarily hard to uh, enable this to happen. Dave McKinney, one of our trustees, took over temporarily as the chair of the the group to coordinate the building and and really the liaison with, with Carla. And here we are, COVID and everything else out of the way, our hall was handed over to us a year ago and I turn now to look at it in the sunshine. <laughs> it's a pretty lovely evening actually, isn't it, to be, to be lo- out here? It is a lovely evening, yes, and we're standing on this nice bit of uh, newly mown grass too. 
And this is all part of the hall as well. So I imagine once events really do take off here, you can utilise the outdoor space as well. Claire, yes, indeed we can. And um, while we sort of let the the vegetation sort of sort itself out, really, but there is definitely space here to put a marquee up. And yes, it belonged to the village hall, but it's sort of common ground as well. And, and we'd be happy for for the residents uh, in in the locality to use it as well. It doesn't. It's not sort of private land. And I imagine for the community, it must be a very welcome addition to the village. Well, indeed it is. And of course, a lot of people who live here in the village will know the old hall, which had a rather sort of delightful name. It was sort of affectionately known as the old tin hut, because it quite simply was an old tin hut. And um, it was well used. And so people are delighted to now have another building in the community. But it's obviously modern and uh, more usable and easier to heat and etc etc and here in this development where we're standing there are 33 new houses and of course that's brought a lot of new people into the village uh, a lot of people with young families so that we have children's parties here and there's all sorts of dance classes and things that go on here in the hall so it's very much of hall for the community and with the platinum jubilee taking place this coming weekend will the hall be used for that as well uh, most certainly it will. We have a, a celebration going on on Saturday afternoon and uh, at a recent count we've had over 100 people who have expressed an interest to come and we always know that in these events that many more seem to turn up than those who said they're going to come and weather permitting. But we've got all sorts of events going on. There's going to be a bake-off, so uh, prizes for children and adults making delicious cakes and I dare say there might be a bar running as well. <laughs> of course. So how long have you lived in the village? Claire, I've lived here for 38 years um, with my family and brought up our children here who all went to a school locally here, Langridge School, very fine school. And we have, yeah, we've, we have moved house once, but only about 100 yards. So very boring, really. We've not moved far at all, but maybe that says a lot about the village of Strood that's kept us here. It's, it's a good location here, actually, not too far away from Petersfield, but it has, obviously, community and, and village life here. So, for you, with the Village Hall, which has been a large part of your life for a fair few years, what are you hoping now it's here for it to give to the village? Well, obviously, it's a new hall, so we hope it'll stand for many, many years. And it's in such a good location that it really is very, very central. If you look at a bird's eye view of Strood, it really is pretty well plumb in the middle of the village as we're standing in. And it is close to the school, so a lot of the, the school children and, and mums and dads walk past it every day. So they can't but notice it. The interest that's been shown already in wanting to hire it for classes, for functions, etc., etc., is just an indication of really what the, the demand is definitely there for a, a fully modern functioning hall. And as we're speaking, the parish council are meeting just a few metres behind us, and it's the type of uh, event that uh, is, is going to happen. And we think that probably also there will be an increase in usage, probably from businesses in Petersfield, wanting to come out for sort of day conference type facilities. Well, I can attest to how great the hall is because a couple of weeks ago I held a children's party here for my youngest and her best friend who had a disco party here. And there were over 30 children all having a wonderful time dancing around. It's such a large space. They weren't on top of each other at all. Um, it was a good location. And coming from Langrish, where there isn't a, a central meeting hub at all, there's no village hall, unfortunately, this is, is a wonderful location. 
Well, that really is, is, is the sort of the joy of it for us, that it's available not only for the residents of, of Stroud, but of course the adjoining villages as well. And I know there are other halls around, but um, it seems to be that there is a demand for, for one here. And children's passes, yeah, what a great way to, uh, to, to, to make use of the hall. It was perfect. So upkeep of the hall, are you having to fundraise to, to keep it uh, ticking over? Well, we are certainly generating income through our regular hirers and, and the functions that we do. But yes, we must always keep an eye on, on fundraising and we put on various events throughout the year which keep the bank balance topped up because um, there's always be something to, to spend money on, whether it's a, you know, material goods in the form of cha- tables and chairs, etc., or um, just in, in time, I dare say, upkeep as well. I mean, it's not going to just uh, stay as it is for, for decades and decades. And uh, we have our annual big fundraising event, really, which is what we call the Strood Revels, which is an event that happens on alternate years. It, it, we have two farms, really, within the, the community, and it alternates between the two. And it attracts a lot of people. I mean, we've historically been getting just under 500 people. And um, given that the village population is probably no more than 400 this is a tremendous turnout but it does generate much needed funds and the social club who organize it work tirelessly for other events as well uh, namely the jubilee event this weekend and a very successful easter um, event here at the hall just some month or so ago well it's a beautiful place and it's been lovely talking to you about it charlie thank you very much for hosting the peapod here thank you very much claire the P stands for Petersfield. I can't believe that we live in such a idyllic place. The Peapod. Susie is in one of her favourite places for her wild walk this week, Durford Wood, where she talks about the new Petersfield Walking Festival and her part in it. I'm in one of my favourite places, Durford Wood, and we're just in a gap where... I recorded one of my COVID specials. Um, I felt like I was completely alone in the world. And I'm happy to say that there are still very few walkers, but the ones I meet are generally really pleasant. And I'm looking at sort of navy blue hills in front of me, the downs, of course, recognisable, and thinking that very soon we're going to go public, if we haven't already, on the um, Peaceful Walking Festival that's been brilliantly put together with some fascinating walks and I can't remember all of them here so I might just record a little codicil at the end of this walk but looking at this I just think what a spectacular place to have a walking festival and if you're new to the South Downs or if you love them as much as I do there's really something for everyone. I'm particularly interested in one that seems to have something to do with food, so I'm going to check that out. But if you want to know more, there's a whole Facebook page as well as a website. But if you check it out on Facebook, and I know lots of you who listen are also on Peacefield Pulse, so I'll try and share something on that. But just, I've chosen a fairly flat one for dogs as well. Um, because I would, wouldn't I? But I just want it to be as accessible as I can possibly make it for people and walking at sort of regular pace. Um, But there are others that are much more challenging. So if you're used to map reading or, you know, walking for miles a day, that would be brilliant. Because 
you know, as I keep saying, I pinch myself how really fortunate we are to live here. And I, you know, my mum used to say to me, oh, you don't know how lucky you are having this on the doorstep because of living in, you know, a fairly built-up bit of Portsmouth. And I probably didn't. I probably just took it all for granted and wondered where the next ice cream was coming from. But I think something of it goes in. And now I feel as if it's sort of the warp and weft of my DNA. I feel as if I was born here, in fact. Maybe I was born in the wrong place. That's entirely possible. I mean, after all, if you're born opposite a cemetery, it's going to be a bit wrong, isn't it? Um, But here I am, and here is rain come out of there in amongst the newly sprung ferns. It seems like a minute ago they were brown and dead and horrible. And um, and here they are springing up. Not, it has to say, my absolute favourite thing, because I get a terrible rash. Um, but, you know, it's OK. And the honeysuckle's out. And, um, well, what a view. The sun has just shafted down, so the navy blue hills are suddenly entirely lit with a, like a chalky field and bobbled navy blue um possibly trees at this range but i want to say hedges because they don't look that tall oh maybe you heard it that was a huge bumblebee and um and i'm gonna search i've i've lit, heard a cuckoo so often here i was half hoping that you'd hear it but i'm going to go in search of one because the infallible one is at langley and I heard it yesterday. So I'm going to try for next week's walk, which will have very much a 50s theme. But anyway, I'll finish this off at home and be able to give you a few more details. Well, I promised that when I got back home, I'd give you a little rendition of the things I'm really interested in on the walks in the walking festival. So you won't be at all surprised to hear that we have many wonderful vineyards um, that attract me and also foraging, um, being taken round and shown nature's larder. That also looks fantastic, but also forest bathing and natural mindfulness. I think we all need quite a lot of that at the moment. Um, But there's everything for everybody. There's our splendid churches and I bet not everybody knows all of them. Um, so, you know, have a look in Facebook. There's, there's plenty more. I just didn't want to just give you a great list. But um, do have a look and keep your eyes peeled. And you can sign up for the walks in June. Enjoy your week. Coming up, we find out more about the Strood Roman Villa and bring you our latest What's On Guide, full of events taking place in the Petersphere. First, let's meet local farmer Andrew Snow. Andrew farms at Rothercombe Farm in Strood, a family-run farm which Andrew runs with his father Christopher. Rothercombe Farm is currently a sheep farm, but had previous incarnations as a dairy farm. The farm also plays host every other year to the popular village party Strood Revels, of which the sheep play an important role. Well, I'm here with Andrew Snow at Rothercombe Farm. We're sat outside. It's a gorgeous morning. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to us in the Peapod. I know it's a really busy time of year for you. You've been lambing, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. We've just got about 10 ewes left out of the uh, 1,000 now, so we are certainly at the right end of the season. So Busy time. So how, how many lambs have you had this year? 
Um, I think we're probably going to have about um, 1,800 lambs on the ground now. A very good season. Is that that normal? Um, yeah, that would be about where we, we have had a slightly better year this year just as a result of the, um, the weather being better. So, yeah, no, it's very good. And you lamb later on in the year than a lot of farmers, don't you? Why is that? Uh, we lamb much later just because our ground is so wet. So where the ground is all clay, we don't have the buildings to lamb they use indoors. And so it's just easier to lamb them outside in the dry. And because there's so much grass at this time of year, the ewes feed themselves. So we don't even have to feed them any bag food, which is obviously a benefit both financially and also I feel for the sheep. Now, you've been farming here for a number of years now with your dad as well. How many years have the snows been at Rotherham Farm? Well, we are actually, I'm actually third generation. So we're, we've been here 89 years, I think it is now. So um, my grandfather started here and I think it was uh, th- 1933 with my grandmother. Um, they had 13 cows at that point. Then when my father took over, he milked cows for 48 years and took the herd up to about 104, I think was the largest we had. But as dairy's been nowadays, it's not really viable for sort of these smaller farms and we were as big as we could be. So um, I decided to switch with Harrod into sheep and we started with 20 in 2003 when we first got together and lifted the flock up to the current levels of sort of um, 1,100, 1,200 ewes. So um, it seems to work very nice. It was a bit nerve-wracking when we first went into it because I thought I'm sort of changing what generationally has been done here for for a long time, but it's been the right decision. That's quite an increase of sheep over the last (laughs) few years. Do you think you'll increase further or do you think you're at capacity now? We could go bigger because we don't need the shed space. It's just needing the acres to put them on. So providing we could get more acres, we could go bigger. But the thousand seems to be about the right number for me. I would need to employ someone and then once you employ someone, you then need to sort of almost double the number of sheep you've got to then justify that. The thousand seems to be about the right number to run at really. There is a popular event that takes place every other year at the farm here that is popular not only with local villagers in Strood but with people from surrounding areas. It's called the Strood Revels. How long have you been hosting the Strood Revels? Oh now that's a good question. I'm trying to remember now it would be back in 2000 and six 2008 I should think it was it must have been sort of 15 years 16 years we've been sharing it with the Winscombe family over at new buildings yeah I think it sort of originated with possibly farm tours that's I think how we did it first so we were taking people around on the trailers just to see the farms and show them show them what we were doing and then we sort of thought well we need to change the uh, event so that people have got something different to do each year because once you see them around a farm you see them around a farm and someone in the meeting decided, how about trying sheep racing? So um, that's where we, <laughs> this is where the, the sheep racing tried off. And it seems to be such a hit that um, we've got to have it each time. So I, I have been to a few and the sheep <laughs> racing is the highlight of the event. How do you prepare for this? How do you get the sheep ready for the races? Well, we do actually have to train the sheep just purely because we want to make sure the sheep are happy doing it as opposed to being frightened because they're, it, it, you know, that is very important. So about six weeks before, we actually we start feeding the ewes, which we wouldn't normally, but we just give them a little bit of food to get them used to human contact. Uh, then we build a practice track. And then whoever my runner is, it was Archie Hill to start with, followed by Tom Snow, my nephew, more recently. They run down the practice track with a bag of food, so the ewes then follow him down the track. They obviously, all the runners run at the same time, so we'll have 16 or 20 ewes running after them one at a time. We don't do individual races like we do on the day. And then once we get closer to the event, we then put the jumps in so they just get used to going over a jump because obviously sheep are not used to jumping over things like that. And they do tend to sort of stand to look and go, what the, what's this I've got to go over? Mm-hmm. Then the need for food overwhelms them and they jump over and away they go. <laughs> 
And so, um, yeah, they, we prepare them as much as we can. And then on the day, obviously, there's a lot of people there. Because coming as commercial use, they don't have a massive amount of human contact. So unless we do this bit of training and, and humanisation again, you know, it, it then means the sheep don't get out and are no more stressed than they need to be. Hopefully enjoy it as much as everybody else does. Absolutely. <laughs> How many people tend to come to the Stewed Rebels, <clears throat> do you know? There's usually about four to 500 people come to, to watch the sheep race and, and the Rebels. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good crowd and... So far, we've always had reasonable weather. We haven't actually had a deluge of rain on us for the actual sheep racing bit yet, which I was very glad of, because having put the effort in, it's good that everyone's able to enjoy it. And so, coming back to the village of Strood, your family's been here for a number of years. Do you see your family staying here is this something that is very much in your blood now very much so very much so we very much value the farm that we have here our duty of care to to look after it environmentally and i'm very proud to be farmers and produce food from it and strood is a fantastic spot petersfield is a fantastic area we're local to town here in the strood so it's easy just to pop in and you've got cities within reach all the time so i certainly don't see us going anywhere too far and i think with the upbringing our children have there's a good chance that they will probably stay nearby as well andrew it's been lovely catching up with you thanks very much for talking to us you're welcome thank you the peapod events guide what's on in the petersphere there's less than a week to go until the hometown team brings the peaceful spring festival kicking off on wednesday evening in the square with rehab blues from 7 p.m and then two days of celebrations on thursday and friday And there's also the Platinum Jubilee Fete, taking place on Saturday the 4th of June at the Avenue Pavilion in Petersfield. Hosted by Petersfield Town Council, the festivities start at 10am and include competitions, music, stalls and more, including your very own Petersfield's Shine Radio, broadcasting live throughout the day. And will be in 1950s vintage style too. The Petersfield Farmers Market takes place this coming Sunday the 5th of June from 10am until 3pm in the town square with lots of lovely seasonal local produce. Enjoy the great taste of Hampshire and savour the delights of locally reared, grown, baked, caught and brewed in Hampshire. Tickets are now available to buy for Strange Fruit Jazz Club's last gig before the summer. Listen to the talented saxophonist Andrew Hooley at Gallery No. 30 on June the 17th from 7 until 10pm. For more information and to book tickets, go to the Strange Fruit Jazz website. Atom Heart Floyd will take you on a Pink Floyd trip at the TPS studio on Friday the 3rd of June with favourites from across Pink Floyd's back catalogue. Tickets and more information can be found at the TPS studio website. And if you'd rather stay in, there's always your local radio station, Shine Radio, to listen to. Available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can listen to a new episode of Growing Together with a special edition from the Chelsea Flower Show. Join Claire as she meets with Hampshire Green-Fingered Talent at the most famous flower show in the world. You can listen to Growing Together and other programmes at shineradio.uk, bringing you a brighter mix of great music, local news and information. If you're running an event, get it in the guide at shineradio.uk. Kate Fairweather has been a volunteer with Shine Radio for a few years now and presents the successful Dogs With Jobs podcast every month. Kate also happens to be a Strood resident and joins us now. Hello, Kate. Lovely to catch up with you. It's so nice to see you both. I haven't seen either of you for a long time. No, we actually... Last time we interviewed you for the Peapod was at... 
Oh, it was quite near. It was on the other a, side of the 270, wasn't it? Bit of dressage. That's right. Bit of Olympic dressage. A uh, bit of Olympic dressage. Quite, quite it up was a lovely place, and I remember it was a it was a September evening. September evening. It was gorgeous. Lovely. Yeah. So, so that was the last time. Kate, how long have you been a resident of Strood? Uh, oh, I should have anticipated that, but <laughs> yeah, I think 15 years. 15 years. 16 years. What's so great about living in this wonderful (laughs) village? Well, we came here because um, it was halfway to my mother's in Langrish from Petersfield. And it had a good school, lovely school with a swimming pool. Um, Well, I know your kids were as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that was really appealing. So where we're standing now in Strood Village Hall used to be a field with horses in it that we used to walk past every day on the way to school. It did. Not a bad swap, given the quality of the venue, but... Yeah, it's just, it makes me realise how far time mar- has marched on it since is, I it, yeah. first moved here. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Because from the school, you're right about the horses in the field and the blackberries. Yes. As all you walk along the road. Yeah, <laughs> and autumn. all the kids used to have little black and purple juice all over yeah, them. Right. <laughs> yeah, coming back from school in September. The good old days. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kate, dogs with jobs. How's that going? Well, I, I had a couple of months off when I was recording less. So I've kind of got a bumper set of interviews lined up and done. And as we're in Strood today, thought I'd stay local with a Strood dog story. Um, do you want to know what it is? Yes, yes please. please. <laughs> it's such a lovely story that I think a lot of people around Petersfield would know a bit of. Um, but I interviewed a guy called Alan Parton, who is the founder of Hounds for Heroes, which is a military service dog, um, assistance dog, I guess, uh, charity based in Ramsdean. And for the aforementioned 15 years, I've been walking past the place three times a week with my dog, wondering what went on inside. And so it was quite a pleasure to go into the Hounds for Heroes training centre and speak to Alan and hear his amazing story really he he came back from the gulf war in the early 90s with a terrible head injury that put him in hospital for five years and uh, and when he came out of hospital he was you know unable to speak very damaged really and he tells this rather affecting story about how he accidentally acquired an assistance dog who went on to become a really famous assistance dog called Endel that you may have heard of there was even a children's book published with Endel as the hero about a month ago I think so I was hearing that story but also um, Alan was introducing me to um, E.T which stands for Endel III, which is his third assistance dog. So there's this whole kind of three generations of assistance dogs. And, you know, the interview is a great one. You know, do tune in. Um, But it's amazing when you think that he couldn't actually speak when the first assistance dog came into his life. And now he's a great ambassador for assistance dogs. And, uh, And it's quite a niche charity as well. There are lots of different kinds of assistance dogs. I've interviewed guide dogs and autism assistance dogs and all sorts on dogs with jobs but this one is military so when I was sitting in his office chatting to him um, he had on a whiteboard on the wall a list of all the different squadrons of puppies <laughs> so everything has this kind of military flavour and all of them have names that have a military flavour to them as well so there's a I don't know now I'm thinking about it I can't think of an example but they're all identifiably military history type names and all of the girl names tend to be ships because they're normally 
supposedly female. So it was just quite interesting and, yeah, just really different. You know, there are similarities with other assistance dog charities um, and work, but also very different and local. Yeah, Alan's quite a well-known face around the town, I'd say. Yeah, he is. I think a lot of people would know him. I've bumped into him at the vets before, um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a wheelchair user and quite often, particularly around Remembrance Sunday, um, he, they have, he has big poppies on his wheels. So quite, quite hard to miss. Yeah. <laughs> and gorgeous dogs. It's fascinating. Yeah. What started the idea of your Dogs With Jobs podcast? Um, I think that in common with everybody, you know, there's been a huge surge of dog ownership. I mean, I was at Goodwoof yesterday, (laughs) 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 which I can't even say without laughing. You couldn't have imagined an event like Goodwoof five years ago, maybe even three years ago. And here we are all mad about dogs. But while there's a huge amount out there about dog training and dog psychology and dog behavior and there are programs on dog grooming and dog haircuts there's nothing about working dogs and a hundred years ago all dogs were working dogs so I kind of feel you never hear about them because they're busy working and uh, and it's an area of dog ownership that nobody ever knows about or hears about and so being interested and being an enthusiastic dog owner and being at home for lockdown, I had time to pursue it a bit and I was astonished at how many working dogs I found because you've got Andrew Snow, the sheep farmer, I think, coming on mm-hmm. in a bit. And uh, I was talking to him, interviewing him about his whole team of sheep dogs that work together in this really amazing way you know for this very intense period of lambing that I'm sure he'll probably talk to you about but it was really interesting hearing how the dogs almost work under each other like apprentices and learn from each other and you know that so there's a huge amount to know and it's if if you're into dogs it's incredibly interesting you know if you're a cat person maybe not (laughs) (laughs) so when can we hear your latest dog with jobs Podcast. You can hear it online anytime on the shineradio.uk um, website, and I always put up photos of the dogs that I'm talking to. I don't often put photos of the owners. <laughs> it's all about the dogs, but that's quite fun. Um, and you can find it on your podcast app, and you can find it on Shine Radio on the live stream, I think four or five times a week, but you have to look on the schedule on the website for exactly when. Brilliant. Brilliant, Kate. Thank you very much for joining us. Lovely to see you again. Total pleasure. Let's not leave it 18 months. No, we're not going to do that. Now we're all out and about. Lovely (laughs) to see you both. The P stands for Petersfield. I like going to the open air swimming pool and shopping. (laughs) The P Pod. Joining us now is archaeologist Peter Price, who is a member of Liss Archaeology Group and who has taken part in the Big Dig excavations at the Strood Roman Villa. The annual village Big Dig in Strood began at the request of the villagers, who were eager to learn more about the Roman villa. And Peter is here to tell us more. Hello, Peter. Oh, good afternoon. Good evening, even. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, the villa is um, quite an old one. It was uh, probably about the 3rd or 4th century when it was built, but maybe even earlier than that, because there is evidence now that we're finding that there was probably another villa there beforehand. So uh, the villa itself is in fields just not far from here, and it was first excavated um, by the boys of Beedale School, 
with their classics master in the 1900s. And uh, they found over a series of years enough to show us the entire um, villa itself. It's a courtyard villa, so it's a villa. It's got um, walls all around a central area, and then it has gates at the front. And the, the building itself, well, if you can imagine Petersfield Church, about that size and about that high as well. So a very substantial building in the surrounding area, but also surrounded by other Roman uh, buildings as well, because there's one nearby uh, Ridge Hanger Lane. Uh, there's another one just up the road, just where you mentioned at Langridge. And there's uh, also earlier material, probably Iron Age or late Iron Age. Mustacombe Copse, for example, has got lots of banks and ditches, which are probably part of a, some kind of defence system that was part of the Iron Age. So there's a lot here. It must be very exciting to work on a dig such as this. Yeah, the first person in 2,000 years to touch an object never ceases to go with me. And even if it's just a child of pottery, it's still inevitable that you go, wow, that's a moment. Yeah, absolutely. What, what has been discovered in the Roman villa then? Well, the villa itself um, is probably the kind of villa that would have been a Romanised Brit, would have owned it probably, um, its actual function is a question of debate. And when Moray Williams, who was the master who excavated in the 1900s, first excavated, he was unsure, and we still are, about what the villa was doing. The problem is that the bathhouse is twice as big as it should be, which begs the question, why do you need a big bathhouse for a modest villa? So maybe it's not just a villa, maybe it's something else. And he intimated at that time that there's a possibility that it could be part of a shrine area because within the complex itself there's an octagonal building about 27 feet in diameter and that could possibly be a shrine. So it may well be that what we've got is people coming to worship, maybe connected with some kind of water deity because there's evidence um, in, at the bottom of the field of a stream at the moment, but we think there was a, a fairly large pond there back in the Roman period, or maybe just after, and it may well be that there were people coming to take water, which was a, a fairly standard thing in, in the Roman period. So what happens once the excavation is fi- finished? Has it, is the field closed off, or is it, can people access it at all times? Uh, the, the original um, villa is now back under the grass, And the problem was that Moray Williams was trying to raise the money to actually have it encased in a a sort of building of some sort. So in 1910, when he was still trying to raise the cash, the Ordnance Survey actually came past and actually drew it onto a map so we know precisely where it is. And we did a a, a geophysical survey a few years ago with permission from the uh, authorities to do it. And we found that it's absolutely identical to his drawings. So he was a very accurate uh, excavator, which is brilliant for that time, the 1900s. However, like most um, excavators at the time, they did what we would call in the, in the trade wall chasing. So you get a spit, which is, you know, a spade with, what's that, um, 12 inches? And you dig down either side of the wall and that's it you don't open the rest of the site. So there is an entire site there which is 
dying to be reinvestigated, but you know, because it's a schedule site, you can't do that. But what we have been doing, as you said at the, with the intro, uh, we did a series of test pits up and down the village to see what the extent was, if any, of any Roman buildings. Um, I have to say that this end of the town, the further you go that way towards Langrish, the less Roman material there was, the further you go towards the Petersfield end, the more Roman stuff turned up in people's backyards. With regard to what we've been doing over the last few years, we found an, uh, another nearby site, and I can't go into detail for obvious reasons about where it is, but we found several sites now. Um, we've excavated, and to answer your question, the site is still open at the moment, but we cover it every year. And then we will reopen it in the next couple of weeks, in fact. And then we'll go back into it and have a final look at that, and then it will be covered over permanently because the farmer wants his field back, he wants his grazing. Um, Andy Snow, you mentioned early, Andy runs his sheep on that particular field, so um, we have to be very careful of what he's doing there. So the big dig takes place between the 2nd and the 31st of July. How many people will come along to join in with the dig? Um, we usually have about 18, 20 people per day coming along. And can anyone come along, or do you have to sign no, up no, for it? No, no, you have to be a member for obvious reasons. We, we have a fairly large uh, insurance, and so you have to be insured in case someone sticks a pick through your foot or, you know, yeah. any, any other sort of accidents. Uh, therefore, you have to be a member of LIS Archaeology to do so. Um, and you, once you've paid your subscription, that's okay. You can, you can come along, provided you fill a few other things, like um, we have a minimum age of 18 um, the problem with that is that um, anyone under 18 can come, but they have to bring their parents with them. I was just to say, because my son, my youngest, wants to go into archaeology. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's, he's got loads of magazines. It's something I think he's really yeah. quite passionate about. So, um, so he's old? only 16. He's 16? Yeah. 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 Our problem is that we've had problems before with younger people. Um, it's not the fact that... Um, They've caused any problems as such. It's just that it's very difficult to supervise. Mm. Um, that's why we have a minimum age of 18 now. So what's the most exciting thing that you've discovered in one of these digs there? One of the very first digs that I was on, can I go back to 1972? Yes. <laughs> I found a gold earring. Did you? Yeah, um, from a Roman side. I was digging a Roman villa, sorry, a Roman fortress uh, and a part of a town in South Wales called Usk. And it turned out to be a very interesting one because I thought it was an earring. And in fact, it was sort of shaped like, you know, those things that ladies carry around in their gardens and they put their hollyhocks in, like a sort of half moon shape with a basket. It was a gold version of that, a tiny, tiny thing. And it turned out to be what you apply to a plait. So you, you sort of integrated into a plaque. So whether it was a gentleman that was wearing it or a lady, I mean, this is a Roman fortress, so more likely to be a bloke, I would think. That was, that was exciting because that was the only gold I've ever discovered. I am the most unlucky archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to many places where I have taken people on, on tours and I said, oh, if you look over there, you'll probably, you know, have a look and see if you can see some Roman coins. And they come back with Roman coins. Have I ever found any? No. <laughs> Peter, thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's been really, really interesting. You're thank you very, very much. You're very, very welcome.
And so we come to the end of this week's Strood Village Peapod. Thank you for joining us. Thanks also to our guests, Charlie Rogers, Andrew Snow, Kate Fairweather, Peter Price, John Walker and Susie Wilde, as well as to the wonderful volunteers at Shine Radio who support the show and help to put it together. This week's music comes from country singer Lily Garland and her recent song, Rise Above the Ashes. So from Joff and I this week, bye! bye. my window and I set them on fire mm, Last night I took your keys, dug them in your car and slashed all your ties I don't care what other people say I don't need you standing in my way Ain't nobody ain't nobody ever gonna treat me this way Don't disrespect me and I won't bury you yet No, no, I love like an angel but I got Time to the 1950s. It's Petersfield's Shine Radio. With stories of Petersfield from people who were there. Monkeys escaped one day 
and I got into the Catholic Church dome. Oh my goodness. And I took weeks to get them down. With vintage headlines from legendary local newsman Martin Muncaster. It's 1953 and Her Majesty the Queen has been seen in Petersfield. And with the music of the 50s, Petersfield's Shine Radio is turning back time to the 50s. Live from the Platinum Jubilee Fate. On the 4th of June. Petersfield's Shine Radio.